Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I am joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the pride of wherever he is at the current moment, because I still think he went back to that undisclosed location. It's Benny Horowitz. <laughs> What's up, dude? That, I'll tell you, that undisclosed location wouldn't be covered in snow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> something strange is happening, Denny. Yeah. Again. Yeah, what's happening? You want to hear about a strange physical phenomenon that I have? If any, if this is about the dick pills, you know, that's a different podcast. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> so I had a funny discovery years ago. You know, I, I'm a vegetarian yeah. and I don't even eat fish. Uh, I was in Madrid, Spain with my wife, maybe then girlfriend, don't remember. And we went out to eat and you know madrid is very famous for its calamari mm. you know yeah. a little squid and uh I, you know i started a policy years ago that if if i'm gonna really feel like i culturally miss out on something or if i feel like you know the the knowledge and tapestry of my life is diminished because i'm not eating this food i'll take a bite mm. you know that that became my new rule so i went out to eat with her we're at a restaurant i had maybe two pieces of calamari it was fine it was yeah. fried you could fry anything it tastes the same to me and then i get back to the hotel room and i'm like why do i smell like calamari huh. and for some reason there was this like automatic reaction that my body and my armpits started smelling like calamari <laughs> and i was like this is bizarre is this like a vegetarian phenomenon like when you have it for the first time you start to smell like the meat that you just ate i don't understand and as it turns out after many years of thorough analysis over my own body it is when i'm massively dehydrated huh. that i smell like calamari and it actually just tied in together on that trip hmm. so this is all being said with i smell like calamari right now denny well that's very interesting because <laughs> you know I, I i was never gonna mention this publicly because i so this was so bizarre the other day you know i'm holed up because i'm not leaving the house right mm -hmm. so i take a shower and i get out and i'm sticky and i'm like what the oh. fuck is happening well, like hard water what well hard water i have no idea what if, if it's jersey city if it's me couple hours later do it again nothing but i was like damn like is mm -hmm. this it, like is this part of getting older because nobody told me about the part where you just <laughs> stick after a shower I mean, yeah, unless you're using like syrupy soap or something, <laughs> I would have to guess, you know, you know how Jersey City is. Yeah. There's usually a water main break somewhere. Yeah. Somewhere in town at any point. <laughs> and there is a real thing called hard water, you know, <laughs> like you see it in a lot when you travel, like they'll be like, you know, warning hard water. Yeah. And it's because the water's fucking gross and it like sticks to your skin afterwards and stuff. So I think you ran into some hard water, friend. Or... Maybe in your advancing age, <laughs> periodically, you're just going to come out of the shower with sticky skin. By the way, speaking of Jersey City, did you happen to watch the town's big debut on CBS after the Super Bowl? No. Jersey Avenue was featured on CBS's The Equalizer featuring yeah, Queen Latifah yeah. and Mr. Big from Sex and the City. They're just oh. walking right in front of Wonder Bagel. That's because Latifah used to live here. Yeah. Yeah. She's got roots in JC. That's kind of cool. It's definitely gotten some love. I uh, I got out right at the right at the right time. Are we even though the mayor the mayor slipped into my DMs again? Oh yeah, what? <laughs> so, what do you want to come on the tune up? 
Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think he was looking into a little a little insight that I might have had on if and when uh, music is ever going to happen again. Um, he's probably probably feeling it out, you know. Are we required now to do like those recap pods of like? Are we required by being people, men of Jersey City, if you will, to do a recap thing for the Equalizer on CBS? Is that is is that what this podcast is going to become? No, you know what, Denny? Yeah. The great thing about podcasts, right? It's the wild fucking West, (laughs) man. That's true. We own this thing. We got no boss. There's (laughs) no rules. There's no rules. Whatever the fuck we want, man. Yeah. Well, speaking of no rules, let's go into the most reckless thing in the entertainment business. It's time for this day in music history. (laughs) You're in your 20s. Pop that shirt off. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So... On this day in 1967, we're going far back for this one. And these are my favorite stories. I love the drug ones. (laughs) Police raid Keith Richards, Redlands Estate, where they discover various substances of a suspicious nature and arrest him with Mick Jagger and Marianne Faithful. Now, the interesting thing about this, all a setup. So uh, British authorities, you know, guardians of the longstanding monarchy, (laughs) They're uh, uneasy with the Rolling Stones, corrupting the youth. Yeah. And in a UK weekly uh, rag called News of the World, they uh, run a story called Pop Stars and Drugs, Facts That Will Shock You. And the story uh, recounted uh, Jagger popping pills and luring two young ladies back to his flat. The only issue was it wasn't Mick Jagger, but it was Brian Jones. Mm -hmm. So... Mick Jagger files a libel suit against this uh, newspaper. And instead of just pulling the story, you know, like you probably should, the paper steps up their efforts to get him busted by following him. So they start surveilling Mick Jagger, the actual newspaper, not the police, start surveilling Hmm. Mick Jagger. And they finally spot him heading to the Redlands for a gathering where they assume some illegal activity is going to happen. And the newspaper tips the police who sends over a squad of 20 officers to investigate. Now Jagger is charged with a possession of methamphetamine and speed without a prescription. I guess you could buy speed with a prescription in 1967. (laughs) Okay. And uh, Keith Richards is busted for allowing his house to be used for the smoking of hashish. I don't think that's a real charge either. Uh, apparently the arrests were made possible by like sweeping new drug laws they had in 64 and 65. So sounds like the UK had a similar thing, uh, as the U S did with a, you know, massive, like Christian drug crackdown or whatever the fuck was happening. Hmm. Adding to the story. That's fun. Is Marianne faithful. The only woman in the house was naked and wrapped in a rug when police arrived. The only I don't way. know the context of the faithful burrito they were making there, but at the trial, the prosecutor brought this up and asked Keith Richards uh, why he had a naked woman wrapped in a rug at his place. And in quotes, Keith Richards says, we are not old men. We are not worried about petty morals. Come on. Keith Richards just went from here to here in my book because that's a fucking line so believe it or not keith is sentenced to a year in jail Mm. jagger sentenced to six months uh it became clear to him that public sentiment was on the side of the stones and of course the sentences were commuted and no one ever went to jail Mm. but what a uh wild story i think the craziest part about this one is literally I, i mean 
how often are like sleazy publications like actually the ones doing the surveillance, doing the spying yeah. and tipping off the authorities when they find something to create a story? Yeah. Like that probably happens a lot, huh? Mm, yeah, I mean, it's like it's it's like what TMZ does essentially now. They've broken big stories legally. They've deaths, all that stuff. But or uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in that creepy <laughs> movie. But pretty fucked up. But I gotta say, I've never been a Rolling Stones guy. This story brought the Rolling Stones a little higher up. Yeah, to me. it's pretty fucking funny, especially the. I mean. I'm assuming Marianne Faithful wanted to be wrapped in a rug, and that's why <laughs> it can be okay, you know. Benny, have you ever met Keith? No, 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 never. He's in a different league, man. You know, even at the height of Gaslight Anthem, you know, yeah. I could, I had a lot of places I could make a call to get like a ticket, right? Get on a list, you know. I had these bunch of good avenues, and I did learn quickly there are certain artists that your hookups want the hookup. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And the Rolling Stones would be one of them. They'd be the one where I call the manager guy, the agent guy, and they're like, you know what? I'm taking my family to this one, so you're <laughs> fucked on that. So, no, that, that never got big enough to get connected with the Stones. Well, Benny, I met Keith Richards at really? SiriusXM when I was a intern on Mad Dog Chris Russo's show. He was recording an interview there. I think it was when his like he he released a biography, a documentary a couple years ago in 2015. And let me tell you, this guy just walks in there, lights up, and the whole place just had that good smell for it for about mm. two to three hours. But so you know, so he just walked into Sirius and started cranking him out. I mean, he had the interview, and they—I guess—they wanted him to be comfortable. They put yeah. you know all those classy, uh, velvety drapes uh, up, sure, sure, boxed sure. in the whole room, and then it was off to the races with Keith Richards. Now, where it got interesting, I'm not sure how many of our listeners are familiar with the work of Christopher Mad Dog Russo, but his <laughs> reaction to this was one of my favorite things I've ever seen. It was just all like him being like, "I mean, what to be." What what's going on here? Is this Babchick? Yeah, no, it's like that whole thing. So Christopher Maddox Russo getting a secondhand high from, from Keith Richards. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Well, listen, Chris Maddog Russo could have used the secondhand high from Keith Richards. <laughs> that guy needed more drugs in his life. He did. Gotta relax. Hey, Gotta man. relax. We'll bring it up I'll bring it up eighty percent of episodes <laughs> of the tune up. All you gotta watch is that guy dance. <laughs> to Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes to know everything that's happening with that guy. It's oh, easy. man. Well, well, that's something else. All right, Benny. Well, you, you brought up nudity in yours. Coincidentally, that's a theme in mind, too. On this day in 2009, Madonna pretty much invented OnlyFans. Uh, no, but on this day in 2009, a full frontal nude photo of Madonna taken in 1979 before she became famous sold for $37,000, which... Probably should have gone for more. Um, the black and white picture was taken when she was, you know, trying to be a dancer on the mean streets of New York, trying to make ends meet. So how about that? Madonna picture sells for thirty-seven grand, two thousand nine. Benny, cheap. yeah, Benny. This brings me to the obvious question. I think that's on everybody's minds. How much would your nudes go for? No, just kidding. <laughs> I told you, man. If you search for me on Getty Images, right? There are some pictures available, and they're like the worst pictures of me that ever exist. So, uh, I would say it would yield about forty bucks tops. Look at you, forty bucks tops. Uh, speaking of which, though, I did recently see a Madonna documentary. Well, 
I'll loosely say documentary because it was clearly it was like a member of her old band in New York City mm. who she had spurned to do a solo career who made this entire documentary with Madonna's involvement not at all. Hmm. So it was kind of came off as like a real like, you know, feed me, pay me kind of rag. Yeah. And he actually awfully, uh, I guess, recorded their private conversations mm. when they were in a band together and when they dated. And he aired them all over this documentary, like her saying some really like personal, fragile kind of stuff on the phone. And he aired it. I found it all like really, really, really sleazy. But that being said, I hadn't realized that Madonna was like a proper punk rock singer. She played guitar. She sang. She was in a band. They played shows. Whole thing. Like she was doing the thing before she went solo as like a proper punk rocker. So I feel like her her look and the way she was in the 80s and early 90s makes a lot more sense now. And actually, you know, it's authenticity might have been uh, the reason it played so well. I love the fact that anytime we get into the Madonna territory, Benny is the biggest Madonna stan, stan I think I've ever met in my life. And no, I'm I'm here for it. Good for you. Hey, hey good is good, man. <laughs> you know me. You know me. I'm not the guy sitting here chopping down LeBron James. <laughs> I don't chop down the best. I enjoy the best. <laughs> All right, Benny, the 2021 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations are out. They're live. They're in your inbox, and we're going to break them down. Who gets in is uh, based off of a fan vote, a uh, thousand writers, producers, all that stuff. Pretty much like the Sports Hall of Fame as we talk about. Same kind of deal. All right, so, Benny, mm-hmm. I'm going to run through the list here, and then I'm going to add some news and notes at the end. All right, so we have Mary Kay Blige, Kate Bush, Devo, Foo Fighters, The Go-Go's, Iron Maiden, Jay-Z, Shaka Khan, My Girl, who I will stand for, Carol King, Fela Kute, LL Cool J, New York Dolls, Rage Against the Machine, Todd Run. Oh man, I almost had a Lou Dobbs moment with uh, Todd <laughs> Rundgren, uh, Tina Turner, and Dion Warwick. All right, let me just run through some of these. Uh, to be eligible, an individual artist or band must have released its first commercial record at least 25 years prior to the nomination. Seven of the 16 of the nominees are here for the first time, including the Foo Fighters, the the Go Go's, Iron Maiden, Jay Z, Mary J. Blige, and Dion Warwick. Shaka Khan was previously nominated. Uh, both solo and with the band Rufus. If elected, Carol King and Tina Turner will become the second and third female artists inducted twice following Stevie Nicks' election in 2019. And if the Foo Fighters are inducted, Dave Grohl will also become a two-time inducted as well. So, Benny, out of those five, who you like here? All right. So, I mean, this is tough. Yeah. Uh, so, so the one thing to think about is like, well, first, I'm like, who votes for this thing? Mm-hmm. And the ballots are apparently sent to an international voting body of more than a thousand artists, historians, and members of the music industry. So I'm not sure why I'm not voting on this thing, Denny. No, exactly. This uh, is bullshit. This is our campaign. Come on. <laughs> so now here's where it gets confusing because yeah. the factors you're supposed to take into consideration are the artist's musical influence on other artists. Mm hmm the length and depth of career in the body of work, the innovation and superiority in style and technique are all taken into consideration. I'm sorry, innovation and superior in Uh style and technique. So the thing that's confusing about this list with that is, okay, uh, Rage Against the Machine. 
essentially has two albums. Mm-hmm. You know, two le- – oh, no, I'm sorry, three. Three albums, two of which are some of the more important albums and uh, albums that have become more important in the last few years. Like you're seeing a second life for Rage Against the Machine because of how pertinent their work was, you know? Yeah. And then I couldn't tell you how many albums Kate Bush had. Right. You know, I couldn't tell you how many albums like, you know uh, – LL Cool J has now. He's probably got hundreds. Like, I don't even know because (laughs) he hasn't done anything I've paid attention to in the last, like, 15 years besides for ACT. So I think I'm going in this list right now for more the artists that influenced other artists. And I think it's more important than body of work. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's almost like the anti baseball hall of fame kind of vote. Right. Like I'm not looking for Hank Aaron's here. Hank Aaron's great. (laughs) Deserves to be in the hall, but I'm looking for Don Mattingly's here. You know what I mean? I'm looking for someone who had a banger of a career, changed the whole course and, and made that kind of impact. Cause that's the people I think should be in the hall of fame. Okay. Okay. So that being said, Mm -hmm. I am thinking out of this list, I'm putting Rage Against the Machine in now, especially because of the last couple years and where their music stands now. Okay. I think that's really important. Uh, I'm putting Jay-Z in right away. Mm -hmm. First ballot. I think he goes first ballot and he should because, uh, you know, it's it's uh the one of the biggest cultural icons of the last like 20 years mm-hmm. and even though his actual lyricism maybe you know like stands uh there's a lot of people who had a much better lyrical career than jay-z right. but um his impact again like like converted the whole thing and his the power he had with biggie and what he did for new york hip-hop at the time and it's just too big too big to ignore i can never vote against tina turner no tina turner is rock and roll like literally her and her ex-husband arguably like made some of the first rock and roll records and things like this like so she should never be left off these lists and i just don't want to get punched in the face by her anyway (laughs) um for me and this is kind of an oddball one I think Devo deserves a place in here. Right. And and I do because of what I said before. They're a band, you know, everyone will say, oh, whip it or something like that. But they're one of those bands that you start going back into their catalog and you're like, oh, this wasn't about whip it at all. You know, this was about this like uh, transition from the late 70s into like, the 80s and the speed and like some way to kind of start creating like indie music and punk music like on the radio the things they did with their outfits and the style and the aesthetic uh and even the contributions of mark Mothersbaugh after you know like doing the scores for all the wes anderson movies and staying super relevant so i think devo gets in as well foo fighters we're waiting on you yeah put out a couple more albums you'll be fine uh and then i think for my fifth and last here this is tough this is tough 
See, here's here's where it's hard because Iron Maiden's one of my favorite bands ever. They arguably like were not the inventors of metal, but they were like to me the inventors of like melodic metal, mm. which basically created like you know scenes upon scenes upon scenes afterwards of bands who became much more commercially successful than Iron Maiden. Like, is there a Metallica without Iron Maiden? Is there so so as someone who respects hard rock and respects heavy music and the way Iron Maiden changed it, again, the things they did with aesthetic, with Eddie, with having a mascot, a thing coming out of the grave, like like they don't even need they they could play their records and just press play and do that live show and people will still show up. So I think uh, Iron Maiden is going to round it out for me. All right, I like that list. I you know I think that this is going to be because if if the one thing we've seen with this over the years is it does get very political as do all of these things do. I think that this is going to be a really big year for black music in this thing given given the summer that we had. Uh, so. Jay-Z, you touched on his impact both as a, you know, producer, talent agent, and last but most certainly not least as an artist himself. Tina Turner, I mean, I think... Oh, I'm sorry, you missed basketball team stylist. (laughs) Basketball team stylist, music director for the NFL that... Apparently brought us the weekend. That's the best thing he could pull up. What the fuck happened there? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then I'm going to have to go with Tina Turner because, I mean, Tina Turner, simply the best, better than all the rest. And, yes, I said that just so I could get that in. But, (laughs) Benny, the amount of times you disrespect Carol King in this podcast (laughs) over and over again. I'm just not going to stand for this. I mean, the time that it happened during Women's Lib leading to all of – artists that we have now i mean i think uh-huh. i don't think someone like taylor swift gets to where she is if it's not for carol king so put carol king in the hall please <laughs> um all right now off that soapbox if you want to hear more about me pontificate about carol king go back to last march i did that for hours <laughs> sure um, all right so i have three um i'm gonna go with the new york dolls here um just because i feel like the people that vote for this are gonna look at them as you know, they're because they're like the thousand voters that vote for them that are like like the music critics and and all that stuff. They're kind of more in that Scorsese age of like people mm. that just revere them as like pretty much starting punk and everything like that. Um, whether people that's think everything yeah. late seventies, yeah. early eighties, New York City is just the best thing that ever yeah. happened. They're yeah. uh, it's like the it's like the. Uh, Who's that lady? The the Fran Lebowitz show. Pretend it's a city on Netflix, which is I know. insanity. It's insanity. We all need a Scorsese following <laughs> us around laughing. That's what I, I hope to be. be for I you, would Betty. be hilarious if Scorsese <laughs> laughed that much at me. You know. I hope to be that for you, and I hope that's what this podcast is for you. That I'm just your Scorsese, which Thank is you. Thank you. All right, so that's four, and then I'm gonna have to go with uh. Fela Kuti here because, you know, I think, you know, we're talking about this year of activism. He was a huge AIDS activist. Mm, sure. um, and and I, I think that's going to play a big role in his obviously big impact on the music industry as well. So the thing that they like to do is kind of spread their chips around the blackjack table. And I feel like this covers the most amount of genres of music possible so that everybody is included. So I think that's the the direction that they're going to try to go with this, you know, kind of make everybody feel included this year, but especially highlight black voices. 
Yeah, no, it's a good choice. And and I like the New York Dolls one. It's I was close to choosing it. And I think they're kind of maybe in the same, you know, category as like a, you know, a diva where it took some time to realize how big of an influence they had. But yeah. is there mid 80s androgynous cock rock hmm. without the New York Dolls? You know, is yeah. there poison and warren is basically is there the los angeles hollywood boulevard scene without the new york dolls and the way it looked probably yeah. not you know so i think that's uh that's an important one i mean some of these you know like like I, some of these to me are like pop artists you know and that's why they kind of were automatically like taken off this list like you know like a, a chaka con or so like all i know about that is like I'm every woman is just these big pop songs. And to me, that's not the place for the rock and roll hall of fame. I mean, it's the rock and roll hall of fame for a reason. So let's keep it rock and roll. Anybody that has the backup that is simply put into a gospel choir behind James Brown and blues brothers does not get in by yourself on the first try. No, just kidding. I'm not going to come in here with the shock account slander. That's not, that's not my place. I'll come with the blues brothers slander. I've changed on that. Wait, wait, what? Hold on. Oh my God. Yeah, what? that is like the absolute culmination of black appropriation I've ever seen. Oh no. It is. It's really fucking bad, dude. Like the I Blues know. Brothers. Blues. Like they're literally making a film about like ah, these are the blues and you you cast two white guys. It's it's just it ain't right, man. Especially one who looks like fucking Dan Aykroyd. I don't know. I don't know. I'm done with Blues Brothers. We're going to turn our attention to the NBA, and the NBA is in a little bit of, uh, well, not the NBA. The Dallas Mavericks are in a little bit of hot water, but it's really kind of ridiculous. So let me lay out the story for you. So at the beginning of the season, the Dallas Mavericks kind of tested the idea of not playing the national anthem. You know, no fans in the stands, right? We're playing these games in front of nobody. Let's let's try not playing. And nobody responded to this. Well, fast forward to last week, and it's reported that they're not playing the national anthem ahead of these games and now everybody is all up in a roar caused the nba to come in and be like hey don't do this we probably got some money on the line here (laughs) and um and i'm kind of confused by this whole thing because it appears as if this is a story to try to win political favor rather than what the nba actually wants to do now my point here with the national anthem i kind of like it before the games i think it's like a nice little thing but they used to play the national anthem at the end of the day broadcast tv they used to play it before plays before movies all of that stuff and they don't anymore so why are these entertainment companies allowed to have gone away with it after the post-world war ii era but sports have to keep it and like i said at the top i like it i think it's nice to have that moment of unity before fans you know drunkenly berate each other for two and a half hours (laughs) um but benny what's your take on this do you think it's a non-story kind of like i do or do you think that there's something larger at play here I don't think it's a non-story, and I don't because of who is at play here. Okay. Um, I think Mark Cuban's up to something. Oh, yeah. You know, I think he he's being Cuban-y about it. You know, he's not asking anybody for their advice. He's not asking any questions. He's taking this action. He's pushing Silver and the NBA to see what they'll do. He's kind of feeling the landscape of this whole thing. So I think 
he has the potential or the organization has the potential right now to uh, set a precedent. And he uniquely might be one of the few people who could set that precedent and survive mm. uh, just because of his stature and his personality and commitment to the team and money, like everything. He's a player. Yeah. Everybody knows he's a player. And even if you don't like him, you have to take him seriously. So I think that's one of the reasons it's not a non-story is because it, I think it grows from here. Mm. And this isn't the the last we've heard of it. Um, one uh, blaring thing to me is that they started doing this the first preseason right. game of yeah. this season. And they didn't fly the fly, You know, they still flew their flag. They didn't play the anthem. No one noticed. Because no one was there. No one noticed. No, yeah, but even like players, yeah. press, like like press is still in the fucking stadium. No yeah. one jumped on that. It's because no one noticed or didn't care. Mm. I'm talking an entire preseason and 25 regular season games. Ridiculous. Not one analyst, ref, press agent, someone in the stadium's like, oh, where's the anthem? I kind of hmm. miss it right now. Yeah. No one gives a shit, yeah. man. And that's where it's like it's not about the anthem. It's yeah. not. This is being used as a political baseball bat. And that's like all that's happening. No one gives a shit. <laughs> no one really cares. Yeah. Most people are annoyed when they have to stand up. So I think uh, whatever happens here could be the benchmark of what is going to happen moving forward and what maybe some more other progressive owners might start doing. Yeah. On a personal level, I'm a little bit like you. I don't care that much, you know, uh, as far as like freedoms of what you're supposed to be able to do go, you know, it's a private company and a, uh, a privately owned league, mm -hmm. a privately owned team. And if these things in house, make a set of rules for themselves that you have to follow. They have every right to do so. I have every right to fucking keep my ass in the seat and not do shit when it happens. Yeah. If I want, you know what I mean? And I don't want to fucking hear it if, if that happens. So these are the, you know, inalienable rights that we're all supposed to have as Americans. Like a private company should have the right to play it. And a private person should have the right to say no thanks. But the thing where I think it gets tricky and I don't understand is if you are not a Christian, this thing can be really fucking offensive. You know what I mean? And if you're forced as a non-Christian to sit there with your hand over your heart and pledge this like absolute loyalty and, and, sovereignty with this thing it's a little strange there's okay let me read this for you this yeah. is one set of lyrics in this the national anthem and i quote what is it francis scott key who mm -hmm. wrote it yeah blessed with victory and peace may the heaven rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us as a nation then conquer we must when our cause is just and this be our motto, in God is our trust. Yeah, but that's like, not in the part that we're out here singing. It doesn't matter. It's the same fucking song. Like, <laughs> like seriously, it's the same song. And, like, you couldn't take, like, a, a song with a third verse that was racist as fuck 
and tell me that, oh, I dig the chorus. That's why we still play it. <laughs> like, you just can't do that. And one thing that is written into the American, uh, not constitution originally, but a law in America, is the separation of church and state. And I have a right as a non-Christian to not be forced to take part in this. Yeah. And I think that is the... Uh, jumping off point that cuban is taking mm. it's not he's he's not taking the vibe like oh i'm personally offended by this my team is personally offended by this in everything he's saying he's saying i reached out to our fans yeah. i looked for feedback and there were many many people who told me they were uncomfortable taking part in this anthem and that's why i'm pulling it so it's almost like he's kind of doing like the reverse play like a conservative would do <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean saying that people would be uncomfortable. Like you're taking away something from other people. You're taking away their rights. So I think the approach he's taken is kind of smart. Um, I'd like to state again that like, I don't have some huge problem with this. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. Like I listen to it. It goes, um, I do hate uh, like a military show of might, you know, yeah. like I wish we use that time and we use that energy for something like, more functional for humanity and society rather than there's this like puffy chest fucking bullshit that America's always doing always gets us into trouble. But I think this is a really interesting story and I think we're going to be talking about it a lot this year. Yeah. And I always thought that, that the weird part about it is like the color guard and they come out dressed like they're like just these like cops that are, yeah. that are on like a Tuesday, giving you a ticket on Saturday. They're in their like Sunday best uniform I mean, let's be real, man. The shit is fucking, it's military cosplay. It is, you know, like you're dressing up for show. Like why does a fucking football game need 200 military service members in full fatigues? It does not. You know what I mean? Like we do this stuff for show. We do it to promote. And I think the people on the other side would say we do it to unify, but it's clearly not unifying. So you got to find another direction. And the thing with this is, you know, the NFL does it because, ironically, the Defense Department pays the NFL for the right exactly. to do it because it, it's free advertising. Now, here's where this gets tricky for me. Mm-hmm. Almost all of the arenas in the NBA are publicly funded, okay? So right. this is when the certain side of, of the aisle talks about this being a publicly funded event. The players are not being paid by the town. Everything else but the building is mm. privately funded. But that one key element that kind of is trips up the NBA a little bit when they want to go completely, you know, we're a global entity. Sorry, National Anthem. See you later. Is these arenas are publicly funded like Milwaukee, paid a big deal of money to keep the bucks yeah. build the Pfizer for him. So if it's written into your contract, be like, Hey, throw us a bone, play on Wisconsin, play the national anthem before <laughs> every game. You got to do it. But if it's not, then what other bigger uh, tax purpose is at play here? And I think that's yeah. really what it comes down to from Adam Zover's perspective. There has to be some sort of tax break for right. playing these national anthems and having these signs of patriotism. Let's get to this week's edition or our quarterly or bi-weekly, whatever you want to put it, edition of NBA Headliners. Class, 
All right, how this works, every now and again when we feel something's actually changed in the league, we'll go through our top three teams, the teams that would be playing the big festival stage out here rocking that you would pay $250 a ticket for um, and pay $12 for a beer to drink out of a straw at Madison Square Garden. Those guys. And then we have to go to the guys who... Well, you know, they're maybe opening the festival at noon. So each and every week we do this. Benny, who? but let's start with the big guys. Who are your top three for this installment? Well, I do have a change from okay. a couple weeks ago, and you can no longer ignore the Utah Jazz. It is the uh, best record in the NBA. Mm-hmm. They're rolling. They're doing it at home. They're doing it on the road. They are beating plus 500 teams. They're doing it with a solid margin. Um they have that great mix of superstars slash all-star talent mixed with continuity, which, you know, we don't talk about a lot, but like the idea that such a solid defensive program is working because it happened over time and you groomed your best players directly into it via the draft. There's something to it, you know, and you add a guy like Mike Conley who's finally healthy and piecing together a great season Clarkson is, uh, you know, pushing for a six man of the year award at this point. Like, you know, I thought that was a bad contract at one point. I no longer do, uh, very much worth the money because of the, the offense he puts up when he comes on the floor. So I think that's getting into that territory of one of the more solid teams in the NBA. It has to be in the top three. The Lakers are not going anywhere still in, even with AD banged up. LeBron is on a, uh, just a hilarious tour of doing crazy <laughs> things, uh, drinking wine, not aging, uh, carrying this team to win after win. I think uh, Harrell has looked great. I mean, I, I love him off the bench, and that definitely added an element to this that that's really crucial. I mean, same with Marcus Gasol. There's, there's some really interesting stuff going on, and to me, things that only uh, – bode better and better as the season goes as well. So Mm -hmm. I think the Lakers are still hardcore in the top two. The Clippers are out. Uh, It's not necessarily a matter of the way they're playing, but the Paul George, Pat Beverly injuries are a little too much for them to suck in. And uh, I think I'm dropping them out of that picture. I think the one thing we haven't considered much with the Clippers is that change uh, the the pieces they lost, the contract they gave to Kennard. I mean, they maybe really didn't have a great offseason, and I'm not sure if this team's going to be able to jump over the hump anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes when I see George and Kawhi playing together, I completely lose, you know, that sentiment I just had. Hmm. But as of now, Clippers are out. So that leaves the big dogs in the East as my third team. Now, I'm starting to lean towards your Milwaukee Bucks. Mm. And I'm doing it because they're winning in such convincing fashion. Uh, They're doing it without Drew Holiday, uh, mostly right now. They seem to be back to that Bucksy, you know, you can't beat our system type of team, which was not the case early in the season. I think some of the pieces... Uh, that were put together are playing and playing well, you know, like Tory Craig's a nice player, Bobby Portis, interesting player. You know, I didn't like, again, I didn't like those contracts when they happened, but 
Uh, they are maximizing the value of those contracts, and the bench is not a joke anymore. So I got the Bucks slightly over the Sixers still, just because of the way um, you know Ben is playing and the uh, you know the the things that have happened to that team and the fact that I don't trust their bunch. So I have the Bucks slightly above the Sixers now in the top three, with my Brooklyn Nets hmm. tightly behind uh, because they have the highest ceiling in the league. But, you know, one of the lower floors that yeah. we've seen. So once these uh, these three get on the court together again, or at least two out of three get on the court together again, I think the Nets could start pushing towards the top. But that Swiss cheese defense is keeping them out of the hmm. top three for now. If you would have asked me to rank my top three last night, I definitely would have put my bucks in there. But, I mean, it's like – it it has been such a like one step forward and two steps back for the Bucks this year. I mean, a lot to like last night. Portis, Forbes, I get that, but then you lose to the Phoenix. I mean, it's like this team is yes, they've been convincing at times, but then they've also showed a, a vulnerability. Which but the Suns are at the doorstep now, though. I mean, that loss, losing by one to the Suns right now, is not a not a terrible loss it really isn't it's not terrible but it's not like rolling they won four straight they're putting it together uh and you know i think they're cementing themselves as a top four or five team in the west so i I don't i don't take that as a terrible loss no but like you know if you want to be the best like that's a game i feel like that's a game last year If, if if you put the same level of like a phoenix team up against like a, like a last year's Bucks team, so to speak, in this hypothetical, I think that's a game that the Bucks win. I do think that they're a half step back from last year. Anyway, let me get to my top three here. So my number one team here is Utah, 20-5 and five on the year, 9-1 in their last 10. But, Benny, there's an interesting trend among my top teams here that I'm a little worried about when it comes to gauging the overall picture of the league. So... Uh, Utah ranks fifth in opponent three-point percentage, which is okay. We we could see where that goes as, as the season goes on. And thus far, they've had one of the 10 easiest schedules in the league with 15 other 25 games coming against teams with losing records. So best record in the league for now, so you have to give it to them. But that's, I mean, that that defense there is, you know, if you want to win a, a title, and I think that's a real separator when it comes to playoff time. All right, my second team, you know, we agree thus far, one and two. I'm going with the Lakers as well. Lakers are my second team, but, you know, same deal with the Jazz. They currently have the number one defense in the league, uh, but they rank third in opponent three-point percentage, so they're giving up a lot of threes to teams. Um, So we could see the slippage from the number one defense at at some point. Um, If they stay relatively healthy, I, I think they have a... Really good shot, but uh, 16 of their 26 games have come against teams that are currently or below 500. So we'll see as this thing goes on. I feel like we see this every year. It's just we get to those matchup games in like March and like April where we get playoff teams going up against each other, and then we see what these teams are made of. Mm-hmm. All right, Benny, and then my third best team in the league. I'm going with Philadelphia. Phil- Philadelphia has been very impressive this season. Uh, the starters are shooting a, a tick above 45% from three. Uh, the Sixers, 18-7 and seven on the season, 8-2 and two in their last 10. Uh, but what's been crazy for this team this season? 
They have the easiest schedule in the league to date. So all three of my teams up there with the easiest schedules playing losing teams. I don't want to focus on the negative anymore. I got all that out of the way. I had to be <laughs> brass tacks out of the way. Now I just want to get into how crazy they are. So they are 14-0 and when all of their starters play, right? right? And, and at, as I mentioned, they're shooting uh, – a tick above 45% from three. That's just crazy. They're four and seven when they're missing one or more of the guys. So once again, if Philadelphia can stay healthy, they're a scary team. You know, you roasted me a couple weeks ago about not being knowledgeable about the crazier that Seth Curry's having. And, you know, <laughs> I'm converted. I've been converted on a, a lot of things. I think, you know, you know, I've been really riding LaMelo Ball from the jump on this podcast. No, <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. But I do stand by my fact to be like, judge this guy after year two for the long-term thing. But rookie of the year, it looks like he's got it in grabs. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. one through oh, three, Utah, Lakers, Philadelphia. Really like what I'm seeing with, and I know in a couple of weeks, maybe by the next time we do this, Brooklyn's going to be number three. Yeah, and I'm telling you, watch out for this Suns team. Mm-hmm. I think there's something going on there and, and a couple pieces on that team that uh, people are devaluing, particularly yeah. Bridges, who has turned into exactly what you want as a 3 and D player in this league. And if you have that guy <laughs> as your fourth option right now, I don't know, they're in real good shape. <laughs> All right, Benny, well, who is open or who is playing the noon stage? Who is opening? And so we're going to go from our worst team to our least worst team, I guess. Okay. Here. Opening the club tent yeah. today <laughs> is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Okay. As much as I feel bad, I really feel bad for Carl Anthony Towns. Mm. I mean, what a fucking year this guy has had. He's such an honest guy and, uh, you know, true to his emotions that he actually tells the press what he's feeling. And um, I appreciate his candor with everything he's been going through. And I think he's a very strong and uh, sensitive guy. But fuck, it's been <laughs> tough to watch yeah. what's going on with this guy all year. But that team is in trouble. Uh, Edwards is a nice player. I don't know if he's ever going to lead to too many wins over there. Uh, Beasley's about to get arrested and he's probably yeah. their best player. You know, you have a couple of interesting characters coming up like Reed and, um, you know, you know, some interesting pieces on the team, but that is a, uh, a straight, a straight trip to the bottom for Minnesota. I'm afraid now I know people hate the Pistons, I don't hate the Pistons. Me neither. I think they actually kind of have something brewing over there. And I know it's not really coming up in wins, but they're a well-coached team. Mm-hmm. They bust their ass. Dwayne Casey's got him going. Jeremy Grant looks really good. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about the way he looks is he's obviously taken on like the alpha dog role on that team. He's taken it away from Blake who can barely fucking play anymore. I mean, right, that's getting sad. pretty bad. Uh, but I don't hate their situation as much as some. I see a lot of interesting young pieces. Um, and even though it might not convert to wins, I'm keeping them out of the top three for that. Uh, the Wizards, I am not. <laughs> and as much as I, I love Bradley Be- Did you happen to see the game the other day where Russell Westbrook was was jawing off doing his Russell Westbrook oh, thing, man. going crazy, mm-hmm. and Bradley Beal's just standing over there with John Wall <laughs> as a Houston Rocket, just kind of like, Oh man, this sucks. <laughs> like I could see it, man. It, it, it is just not happening over there. Um, you know, as much as I like, again, you know, 
if you talked to me two months ago, I would have told you the Wizards are uh, maybe a lock for the playoffs. I actually might have said that on this program. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the lineup and I like what I see, but fuck, that thing is a mess that just needs to get blown up. Now, one of the big reasons I had to keep the Pistons out is because of a team I particularly hate, Denny. And I don't know if you know this about me. I really don't like the Orlando Magic. I don't like what they're doing. I hate the way they play. Uh, I hate the way they draft. I hate the way they put a team together. I really don't like it. And I think that it's starting to show in wins and losses. And this team really, really, really needs to make that decision to go from fledgling play-in game, 8-10 to seed team in the East to just bombing the fuck out, please, and getting some real players on that roster. Nick Vucevic is great. They got lucky with Fultz, but who knows if he's ever going to do a whole season. Cole Anthony, okay. Mo Bamba's on the lurch. They never even let the guy play. So I hate the Orlando Magic, and I think they are uh, on their way down. I think uh, I think your guy John Hammond over there is going to be working with us on SiriusXM NBA Radio maybe in the next year or two, which I'm going to be very excited about. That was All my right. first ever press conference was uh, the, <laughs> the Larry Sanders contract extension. Uh, <laughs> that one worked out. Um, but no, Benny, my bottom three here are uh, all right. My worst team, I gotta give it to the Washington Wizards. The Wizards are ranked last in defense, twenty eighth on offense, six and sixteen this season, three and seven in the last ten. The other day against the Raptors, this is the Raptors, and this isn't two years ago Raptors. This is like Tampa Bay Raptors. Uh, they shot twenty nine percent from three, just not shooting well, not playing defense, just a complete train wreck. I haven't been high on the Wizards from the jump. I mean, yes, you have Russell Westbrook. That if putting butts in the seats even mattered, maybe that 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 would have helped. Um, Bradley Beal's been a good soldier about this whole thing, not not requesting the trade, wanting to work through it. Everything you want from your franchise player, we'll just see how sure. much longer that lasts or. If it, if his girlfriend gets see if DC was a colder weather city like a Milwaukee or a Minnesota, I think he'd be a lot less pleased because I think his girlfriend would be on his case, be like, "Babe, Miami, LA, let's go, <laughs> Vamanos." Anyway, so uh, my worst team this week, Washington Wizards. My next worst team, I got to go with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Though they took the Clippers into the fourth uh, the other night, and a moment you could see what this could this team could be with Carl Anthony Towns, uh, man. But they need more from Anthony Edwards. I mean, against the Clippers, he kind of just disappeared down the stretch. They're six and nineteen overall, two and eight in their last three. They're bottom five in defense and absolutely last last on offense. So. Uh, a lot of adversity going against these guys. You mentioned on the Malik Beasley s- situation. Uh, D'Angelo Russell has has missed some time here, so not great. But you know, at least you can kind of see what Gerson Rosas is trying to build there. And then my least worst team. Uh, you had the Magic here. I got to differ with you here. I got to go with Detroit. But there is some there is some light coming from Motown. Uh, mm-hmm. The Pistons had the league's second worst record. But they've played the toughest schedule thus far, and they've not some pretty good wins. They have wins over the Celtics, Suns, Sixers, Lakers, and Nets. That's pretty good for a bottom three team. Man, I'm telling you, I know, I know this is like a deep cut in the NBA, <laughs> and it's not going to get a lot of love here. I love this kid, Isaiah Stewart. Mm. I thought it was a bad pick. I've watched him play a few times now, and that's like 
that's like everything I'm looking for in a yeah. big four or five. You know, like I think that kid's got a long way to go and a long career coming up. Very cool. Well, speaking of a long career, this past weekend, the NFL crowned their championship and Tom Brady notched Super Bowl championship number seven, passing Who? Michael Jordan. Tom Brady. I said that right, right? Who? Who? Benny, Who's I'm that? getting older. No. I'm getting older. You <laughs> legitimately messed me up there, but that's okay. So Tom Brady notched his seventh, seventh. MB, oh, NBA. Don Brady. <laughs> Tom Brady. Not his seventh NFL championship. Can we talk about one thing, though? Yeah, sure. Can we talk about drunk, drunk Tom Brady? Oh, oh yes. This is a tune up sweet about, spot. Quick talk about homeboy pulling up <laughs> in a brand new $2 million boat. There's a little pastel shirt. <laughs> and getting so drunk on tequila that he throws the Vince Lombardi trophy, the fame, the. Know, the coveted Vince Lombardi trophy tosses it over some shitty Florida water into another <laughs> boat that they almost got. The thing fucking flipped a couple yeah. times. Could have killed someone. Could have his fell daughter in the water. was scared. I'm watching him walk out of a place like this, being held by somebody walking down the street. Now, me for one, I have some partying in my background. I've fallen asleep in weird places done some strange things i get it i get celebrating and having a night out of town good for you <laughs> the thing i don't like is this if lamar jackson wins the super bowl and he goes out he gets that hammer drunk where he's messed up on the streets needs help to walk and throws a fucking trophy to another boat there's vitriol there's fury people would be so fucking pissed so the golden boy can get away with this stuff for fairly obvious reasons that we don't have to dig too deep in but his showing in uh in the parade i thought was i don't know classless you know what i mean i thought he looked like a fucking drunk dumb little kid you know and that's gronk's job (laughs) you're supposed to be tom brady you're supposed to you know you wore these nice clothes giselle dressed you nice you don't fucking act the part. You know what I'm saying? No, you're exactly right here. And it's like, listen, Tom Brady has gone full Tampa Bay and full Florida. Oh, yeah, He's a yeah. Florida man. That he wasn't full happening. Full White Claw. <laughs> yeah, no. It's a, oh, man. No, but I mean, just like it's disappointing. Number one, I, I don't like the idea of a boat parade. I feel like that's terrible for the environment. Like, 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 I feel like that's worse than a bunch of double-decker buses going down the Canyon of Heroes. Probably. probably. Like, you're out here, hypothetically, the Lombardi Trophy could have killed a manatee. <laughs> like, hypothetically, that could have happened. Listen, as a 25-year vegetarian, <laughs> I would have martyred that manatee. <laughs> Just to have that on Tom Brady. Would that manatee would have would that manatee would have been the new Harambe? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would have been stuffed on display at some liberal's oh. house. Yeah. <laughs> probably. But Tom Brady, you're a dad. I'm yeah, not a dad, on. but I feel like that is not how dad should act. That's how yeah. I would act if I just won my seventh championship. Oh my god, Listen. Benny, you would have to carry me home. But Tom Get Brady, together, you're better bro. than that. <laughs> Get it together, bro. <laughs> you know? Have an IPA. And fall asleep with your hand down your pants at 9.30 like all good dads do. Jesus Christ. Well, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tuneuppodcast at gmail.com. Two Ps in there. Subscribe to us. 
We're on the YouTubes. That's right. As I say that, like the proper dad that I'm growing into. If you want to see any of our other content on social, follow the and subscribe. Do all do all of the ways to to get it. Tune up HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. What's up? What's up? We actually had a really good week on on TikTok. People that have never listened to this show before just came out in droves for our past TikToks that we put out there. So greatly appreciated. Benny, I think you're on your way to becoming a TikTok star. So you're out here doing pop songs, doing TikToks. Look at you. I, I'm excited for this next. I'm surrounded by sexy lingerie. I love this. I, I should I, be. I love this for you. Um, if you want to follow the big man, I don't think he's on TikTok, but he is on Twitter. He is at Benny Horowitz one, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter, soon to be number one on TikTok. I can't wait for this. Uh, I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Uh, just first name, last name, Denny Gallagher on all the other platforms. Hit your boy up. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, I couldn't sleep last night and I started watching Ted Lasso. Oh, and so it's great. now maybe the best show I've ever fucking seen. It's so funny. So good. Rest in peace. Mary Williams of the Supremes. You've been listening to The Tune-Up. <laughs>